Hi, I'm Kat and I'm bringing you today's talk from Barnet in North London. This bit of John is one of my favourite bits of the Bible. It sparks my imagination with visions of the heavens and an eternal voice that runs through the entire cosmos. John fits so many ideas about God into just a few verses. Trinity, creation and grace, to name just a few. In starting to think about this, I had a look at a few translations, and I came across The Voice, a version of the Bible drawing together today's culture and theology. Other translations use the word to describe John's echo of the creation story. However, this version chooses The Voice, and I love the energy in this word. It suggests something dynamic, a process of both giving and receiving, a relationship, there is also an intention to this voice, an intention that brings transformation. The voice, the light and the creator are each playing a part in bringing life and creating transformation. What I like about this is the relationship between each of the three persons of the Trinity. Let's see if we can bring this to life a bit. Take a moment and think about a relationship in your life, one that has changed you perhaps made a difference either to how you see yourself or how you see your world. What made the difference? When I think about relationships, I feel that it's a dynamic between us. Who I am is changed and developed as a result of the connection and the relationship. But I'd like to develop this. I like the idea of perspective. When there are two people, it's like looking at the world and each other in 2D. When there are three, that additional person adds a depth to the relationship. It's an added perspective that refines our understanding of ourselves and each other. It's the same with the Trinity. It is the relationship between that defines them, what they hold in common and what makes them unique. In the process of creation, the voice, the creator and the light each have a part to play. For me, this also centres relationship as the heart of creation, including the relationship between the created and the Trinity. And it is this holy communion that offers some insight into our common life. As the theologian Maltman says, the Trinity corresponds to a community in which people are defined through their relations with one another and in their significance for one another, not in opposition to one another. For me, this is important because often in relationship, it is too easy to start from our own views, experiences and feelings. But this is not true relationship. It is in decentering my perspective, my experiences and my feelings that dialogue flourishes. With dialogue, there is a deeper relationship in the process than simply a connection or a conversation. I feel that much of what we see in society is debate, not dialogue. A tendency to define by difference from fixed positions where we seek to convince the other to change. I am sure you're not short of imagining some current examples. The foundation for dialogue is relationship. This means that individuals are defined by their relationship to each other rather than being defined by how they are different from each other. I really like how the theologian and activist Lisa Sharon Harper develops this and the implications in her book, The Very Good Gospel. 
She reminds us that God saw everything that he made and indeed it was very good. She goes on to explain that what was good was not just the object, it was also the ties between. Good refers to the ties between things. She continues, in the Hebrew conception of the world, all of creation is connected. The well-being of the whole depends on the well-being of each individual part. The Hebrews understood goodness to be located between things. All the relationships between things overflow with abundant, flourishing, overflowing goodness. And this is the important bit of John's writing. He takes us from the story of creation and reminds us that this almighty creator stepped out of eternity into time. God came and dwelt among us. The dynamic relationship of the Trinity is outward-looking, towards humanity. As Lisa says of creation, the relationship between humanity and God was forcefully good. Humanity's relationship with self was forcefully good. The relationship between humanity and the rest of creation was forcefully good. However, John's location of the story of creation alongside the coming of the light is a reminder that creation and our relationships have come far from overflowing into connected goodness. This coming of the light might be described as a Kairos moment. Kairos theology can be described as a critical and pivotal moment outside of chronological time. A time where the truth about how we are to our neighbours is unveiled. It is an invitation from God to a new way of seeing, a new way of being in community. Not everyone recognises a Kairos moment. As John says of the light, the world did not recognise him. They refused to listen and receive him. They did not see, they did not hear, they did not accept. Perhaps we did not see, we did not hear, we did not accept. Perhaps a Kairos moment is a moment where you see, where you hear and where you accept something which transforms your understanding. Take a moment to think, how has this last 12 months transformed your understanding? Where have you gained fresh perspective? Let's take this forward. I feel like a Kairos moment is something more than understanding. For me, it is something that moves you. A Kairos moment is transformational. It is an invitation which, if accepted, enables you to step into a new way of being. That's quite neatly packaged, isn't it? Stepping into a new way of being. I'm sure you can connect with the reality of how hard taking that step is. So I'm going to take the liberty of taking us back to creation, to a bit of the story that John doesn't include. In those days, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, and then they ate of the fruit. As the voice puts it, suddenly their eyes were opened to a reality previously unknown. For the first time, they sensed their vulnerability. This illustrates so well what I feel is going on in a Kairos moment. It is hard to step into a new way of being because of the vulnerability that this requires, and the reality of the shame we feel. Instead, we choose to hide, we choose to cover ourselves. I wonder if this is the darkness that John talks about. For me, it's not that darkness in itself is bad. 
as the second reading so beautifully illustrates, with its talk of darkly, radiant, coalescing blackness. It is what we do with darkness that gives it its agency and moves it from neutrality to helpful or harmful. In a Kairos moment, it is the choice to hide in the darkness that takes a step towards harmful. I wonder whether you can think of times when the choice to hide has affected your relationships. For me, as a white woman, I feel that one way this sense of shame is especially so is in relation to prejudice and racism. Prejudice is something which affects us all. It might relate to race, but it could equally relate to any of the characteristics protected under the Equality Act. So whilst my story is personal and specific, I hope that whoever you are, you can hear your story in this. I'm going to start us thinking about this with a quick activity. Look around and make a note of what is in your environment. Now, close your eyes and recall everything that you noticed. What did you remember seeing? I can see a window. I can see a table, a door. Most people will see the things that are most important. The most obvious. For example, large, colourful or attention-getting in some way. This is because when we observe our environment, we do not give equal weight to everything. Instead, we are highly selective, without even being aware of it. We automatically filter what we see in a way that gives greatest weight to whatever is most significant. This creates something called implicit bias which is basically the shortcuts our minds take to process the vast amounts of information we deal with. Prejudice and racism both have their roots in this, because these shortcuts mean that our processing is based on incorrect beliefs about groups, rather than seeing individuals. Prejudice is when our implicit bias goes too far. For example, assuming someone is good at a particular sport because of their ethnicity, or assuming someone has a menial role when they are in fact the manager. Racism is when you put this into action by what you do or by what you say. Racism is also about how you respond to it. For example, when you have the privilege to choose to do nothing. I was born in a black majority country and I am married to someone who is part of the global majority as a Kenyan. Our relationship has deeply changed how I see and experience the world. It's like seeing in 3D. This is partly because of the responses we get to talking about the racism that my partner has experienced. When we do, we are told we are imagining it, that it didn't really happen like that, that there is something wrong with how we are seeing the world. In a Kairos moment, some of us, some of us choose to hide. I would imagine that there might be people listening who can identify with how experiencing prejudice feels. I also wonder whether there might be people who don't. For those who identify with this, I wonder whether this year has been a crystallisation of just how exhausting living with prejudice day in and day out is. How exhausting it is living with not being seen, not being heard and not being believed. My prayer is that you will be seen and heard and that change will come. But change doesn't come if we aren't honest with ourselves and each other. So I'm going to be honest. Prejudice is not something I am immune from. It is something that is part of me 
and there are times when my thoughts, feelings or actions are discriminatory. As someone who describes herself as a liberal, who sees equity as important, it is hard work instead to speak truth to power, to acknowledge my impact rather than the good intention I thought I had. It is hard to decenter my experiences and feelings. Discrimination and prejudice are realities that have many different powerful feelings and thoughts. We give them power because we try to cover up our uncomfortable feelings. I can certainly relate to a desire to cover my feelings of shame with explanations and reasons, which are actually just excuses. The impact is that when people share what's happened to them, they aren't heard and their experiences aren't valued. What happens is that the feelings of shame are centred and this creates a barrier to relationship. These feelings are important. They tell us that something is happening. When working on stepping into a new way of being, our choice is to listen to the message behind the feeling, to be honest with ourselves. We all make misjudgments about people based on the messages that our families and society have given us. So treating ourselves with kindness is important because when we get caught in fear, we freeze, we deny, we avoid. We surround ourselves with people who look like us because this is what makes us comfortable. If we respond to our bias with compassion and grace, it enables us to learn, to grow and transform. For me, there is something about the ability to hold intention, the compassion and grace with the measure of how we are as a society to anyone with a protected characteristic. But in this tension, the bit that transforms is hope. As author Rob Bell says, our gift to the world is hope, not a bind hope that pretends everything is fine when clearly it isn't. But it is a hope that comes from staring pain and suffering right in the eyes and refusing to believe that's all there is. For me, it's that belief that there is something more that transforms, that helps me see myself more clearly and holds the tension between my brokenness and what is good. It is a faith in a God whose creator joined her creation and joined and lived among us. The Kairos moment, which I wonder if it is an invitation to a journey rather than a sudden change. And in taking the first step, on the Kairos journey, it's acknowledging that everything isn't fine. It's to lament, to be honest about who we are and our impact on the world. This morning, I was reading an email from writer Jeff Chu about the journey of change his friend Megan went through after she broke relations with her family and community at Westboro Baptist. I felt this brought a perspective and life to the idea of lament. Jeff writes... As she decentered her own experiences and feelings, she found more room for others. Megan said, It wasn't about my need to show that I had been trying to do what I thought was right anymore. It was about another person's experience and the ability to say, That was wrong. I am so sorry. No matter what my intentions were, I am so sorry that I did that to you. I wonder how I might get to this place to practice lament. I wonder if the ability to lament is about the courage to speak truth to our power, to sit with difficult feelings and to be honest, really honest, about our part in the brokenness or about our choice to stay silent. Lament sees, lament hears and lament acknowledges 
In the words of theologian Brueggemann, the prophetic task of the church is to speak truth in a society that lives in illusion. It is to grieve in a society that practices denial. It is to speak hope in a society that lives in despair. To speak truth to illusion. To grieve in a society that practices denial. To speak hope to despair. This truth speaking is not about what is said or believed. It is about what is lived. This is the space between. This is where the stuff happens, the dialogue, the decentering. This enables each to be vulnerable and acknowledge the brokenness. The goodness is located between things. This is where transformation happens. I feel that the words of the sociologist and activist Brené Brown illustrate this space between well. I define connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard and valued when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. Real transformation is humble, open to a new way of being. It is in this openness that the spirit, love can dwell. The cracks let the light in.